Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Frame uh, Podcast. Could you just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top one more time. Okay, okay, you ready? Well, Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Zach. Um, so to kick it off, let's go all the way back. Where are you born and raised? Uh, I was born here in Washington, D.C. and raised in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, came up in, I guess, the theater and film departments around the area. Glen Echo Adventure Theater is where I got my start taking acting classes there and then eventually just doing the uh, the full-run plays, Secret Garden, and some of the others in there as a, as a child. And then... Auditioning at Ford's Theater for Tiny Tim and, uh, you know, started off as a very young actor and then just fell in love with all things film. And I started uh, canvassing the neighbor with my parents' mini DV camera making uh, spaghetti westerns and shoot 'em up movies and stuff that was probably highly inappropriate and would probably raise some eyebrows now. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, and it was, uh, it's did it as long as I can remember and ended up forming the partnerships there that I had today. And, you know, I continued theater through Walt Whitman High School and did the, uh, did the news programs there called Whitman Shorts. Actually, it's uh, alumni Spike Jones and, uh, what is it? Uh, Jeff Tremaine came from there too. yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some good names in there. And I, I actually ran into Spike Jones at one of the, at a White House correspondence event here. And I, brought it up to him and i don't i i don't think he cared i was kind of i was like expecting him to like kind of reminisce or anything that he just said like oh that's cool so but yeah no uh dc um dc born and bred and uh you know have basically kicked off the start of my career here and produced what i hope is some notable work so um starting from you kind of started as actor and then fell into was there a particular like film that you were on or a project that you were a part of that really got you started in film not really i mean i just loved acting at the time and didn't you know i loved acting in theater and i always knew i wanted to act in film so the and you know there were no real film auditions in the right. area so you the only way to do it was to kind of make your own and you do everything soup to nuts you wear every hat and uh, yeah, so there was no particular project. I think our first movie we, uh, the first movie we shot on mini DV, I think was called Gangbusters. Okay. So, you know, real, you could tell real quality work right. there. So, yeah. So how many kind of shorts and projects have you yourself produced since? Uh, I mean, I'll start, I mean, I'll really start in, uh, at the end of college, because that's when I produced my kind of first, I'll say, semi-professional uh, piece called Alone. It was a uh, basically kind of funny story. I uh, UConn, I went to school in Connecticut at UConn, and they didn't have they didn't have a great film program, but they had a great film professor named Bob Smith, and he taught me every. I mean, I thought I knew film, and then I met him and realized I didn't. And I took classes with him every year I could. And I ended up, instead of declaring a major, just uh, doing what's called an individualized major. Okay. So I incorporated film into that. It's when you basically customize your major. And uh, 
basically working with the guidance counselors, there was some error. Uh, they said it was on me. I said it was on them, but I was short uh, three credits at the end of my senior year. And it was the last semester and I needed to make it up. And basically the only thing I could do was an independent study. Okay. So I went to this professor and said, hey, uh, you know, you've been teaching me for four years here and I think I'm ready to make a, I think I'm ready to make a movie. What do you say? And he basically said, you know, I love, I, I love you and it's okay, but come exam time, you got to show me something worthy or I'm going right. to, I'm not going to just going to give you the credits. Cause so we, you know, we banded together with two other, two other filmmakers in the class who I guess were in similar situations or just wanted to shoot something in Connecticut. And we, uh, developed and wrote a short film called Alone, and it was a post-apocalyptic short film. And uh, and yeah, we edited edited that up until the minute before uh, it was two. And then when I came back to D.C., I kind of started working in whatever jobs I could get, mostly in politics, but I knew I wanted to get back into filmmaking, right. and I knew I wanted to get back into the creative process, so I went to work at... Uh, video labs producing branded materials and then eventually I made my way to uh, Clean Cuts uh, Cerebral Lounge which was kind of a more premier studio and it's there when I started writing uh, my short film A Celebrity. Okay. So that was uh, kind of the progression of that and A Celebrity was much more professionally done. It was it was self-financed but after we completed it it was this great case study to show to be like look we can if we did this with nothing imagine what we could do with something right and we were able to kind of just through small uh small investments through some close contacts and colleagues of ours raise enough to make ember the series pilot which we're closing now which has been our biggest project to date and you know there's been other creative projects kind of within that span but those are kind of the main ones that uh that I produced, uh, that I was the real overseer on. Gotcha. So, you know, so I know you're owner and producer of dime museum. Um, the, are you, is there a team, you know, that you work with that's in dime museum? I yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, um, loosely established right now. So basically we, uh, when we were submitting our films to the film festivals, you know, they were, there was always that section for website and we're right. like, well, we need, we need something here. And I always had the idea of dime museums kind of, you know, on the, you know, on the back burner and I just kind of utilized it. But then, uh, my co-writer and co-creator, Seth Gittner, who I worked with on, uh, a celebrity and Ember was basically like, we need to, you know, we need to develop this and right. this, this could be real. So I would definitely credit him, uh, you know, our investor, Ryan Walter. And, but, you know, right now it's, it's for the taking. I want to bring in more diverse elements, more diverse people, and just start to, you know, kind of, you know, expand our horizons in what we're creating. But right now it really is just a portfolio for what we've done. But that being said, it's, you know, the sky is the limit right now for creative content, yeah. you know, which is just such a, you know, we're in such a great time to, have a fresh start at a new brand. Right. You know, so. So talking about uh, creative content, what do you, what are your tastes? What do you like to focus on in terms <laughs> of your projects? Uh, hmm. I mean, I don't really gravitate to, I mean, I've done two post-apocalyptic projects, so I think people would probably want to, you know, label me as kind of more of that kind of sci-fi out there genre, but really just anything, uh, 
you know, I'm constantly developing creative concepts, but it really comes down to what I can execute. Yeah. And, you know, I would love to do, it really just depends on the kind of the budget and the people who are interested in mm-hmm. it. You know, Ember uh, was a post-apocalyptic, a very loose post-apocalyptic idea I had for a while for a series. And when I started just chatting about it with uh, our co-creator, Seth Gittner, uh, it just started to kind of flow. It was very organic, mm-hmm. you know, and it worked for everything. And it was very, when we were writing the series, bi- the series Bible and how we were going to differentiate this series, it was very relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just the key elements about it were just seemed to be what people are demanding now in the industry. So, you know, it, and that's what interested potential. I mean, besides obviously the the qualitative side of it was, you know, this idea that there could potentially be an ROI on this. So, you know, you always are developing these concepts, but what what are you going to be able to execute, and how are you going to be able to kind of convince the necessary? How are you going to build a team and right. get people on board with it? So, so talking about team, how can you talk about? your relationship with Seth and how you guys work together and how you guys connected? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, we're old friends. I mean, we grew up in Bethesda together, uh, childhood friends. I mean, most of the, uh, probably more than half of the people on this are old, old friends. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky because I came back to D.C. after school and most of my close friends and network did, did as well. You know, it was D.C. was just, I mean, as a as a city, it's very, uh, there's a lot of opportunities here for jobs and expansion. And I mean, as people wouldn't know it, but it's also a great creative hub, you know, as opposed to places like New York or LA, here you can really differentiate yourself as yeah. a creative. You know, you go to LA or New York with a short film or any, you know, it's, oh, that's cute. I have, you know, <laughs> get it, get in line. Everyone right. here has, you know, has a script or, but here in DC, you know, it's for someone producing narrative work that really, has ambition and a scope to it is not something you get a lot let alone enough of a budget to actually execute it so you know again it's this this constant bridging the gap between the vision and the execution i mean personally i love i love uh neo-noir and i mean that's my favorite genre but you know to me that means okay that's going to be a lot of locations it's going to be a lot of people it's going to be a stylistic shoot and you know i just as a producer and thinking pragmatically i know that that's that's a lot as opposed to well post-apocalyptic we can go out in the middle of nowhere shoot with three people and make that work at a level that hopefully audiences will believe so you know so give us a little synopsis on ember because we've mentioned it a couple times now but sure yeah Uh, and i'll keep in mind i you know if i say too much the chip in my neck will probably will explode so i gotta be careful with uh with what I say right now, but basically it's a uh, it's a series we've been developing for years now, and it's uh, basically it's post-apocalyptic, and uh, what we're selling it as is kind of this new format for an anthology series that blends between anthology and drama, hmm. and it's this very unique universe where you you have basically it comes in generations after this undisclosed post-apocalyptic cataclysmic event. And each of these vignettes, each of these stories are being told by this unique group of people, very diverse characters, and they all have a different, they've all been told a different story of what caused it, what happened. So they're all raised in these very 
sheltered environments. Yeah. And so the first season that we're developing right now is basically introducing all of them. Okay. And so, you know, and it's, we have this kind of grand story in that, in this post-apocalyptic post world, uh, basically there's no, the food is all spoiled. Okay. It doesn't grow, and basically the story starts with one of these groups, one of these uh, tribes, as you know, as we label them, has discovered a way to grow food again. Mm, so, okay. uh, you know, and again, the first season is really focused on the anthology. To me, it's, you know, I, I think our co-creator Seth would focus more on story, but for me, it's character. Uh, you have, I mean, a, the story can be the most simplest re, in retold story, but you just need to care about the characters. So uh, to me, this first season is really uh, kind of a vessel for developing them before you get into, you know, the stories. And, you know, it's just coming from what we see right now with the universe, expanded universes. Yeah. You know, they they do such a, they do, they do a great job, but oftentimes, like, they'll, they'll get the order wrong. You know what I mean? Like, right. you'll have 20 characters in a scene, and, and then they'll do their origin stories later. And right. it's like, well, why didn't you do the origin stories first so I could have cared about them and had more of a stake in it when they were, when there was conflict in this, you right. know? And it's, uh, so we're really trying to, again, make you care about every character and every story before we kind of throw in the immersive plot that we have outlined in the series Bible. So, so you went and shot the pilot. Mm -hmm. When was that? We shot that last September and we shot that in bluegrass, Virginia, uh, and the Shenandoah, the Shenandoah Valley area. So, okay. uh, we shot on the river in the Shenandoah and then in the mountains in bluegrass, Virginia. So very secluded locations. Bluegrass actually was a dead zone. So it's a very interesting place where I, I think like a subsect of people think that they're allergic to electromagnetic oh. pulse. So there's no cell service within 30 miles of where we shot. No Wi-Fi, no cell service. And I told our cast and crew this before we went, but I don't think any, I don't think anyone believed me. Yeah. Because we were, you know, first day I looked outside and I saw everyone holding up their phones and pacing around and just like, no, you guys don't get it. There's 30 mile dead zone here, guys. There's no. And you know, to any aspiring directors out there, I highly recommend shooting in a dead zone. You will you will maintain focus, yeah. no distract. And when people aren't doing their scenes, they'll hold the boom, they'll lend a hand because when there's no Wi-Fi, no service, you it it forces you to appreciate the craft of filmmaking. Yeah. <laughs> so how big? Um, how long did you guys shoot for one thing? So we shot for five days in okay. two locate in uh, three days in Bluegrass, Virginia, two days in the Shenandoah. Uh, yeah. How big was the crew? Uh, I want to say depending on the demand, somewhere between five and ten people. Okay. I mean, a, a core crew of about four. Yeah. And then we had kind of you know people lending a hand and just being Swiss Army knives right. who were there to run the run the click or hold a boom or whatever was necessary for that time. How do you feel that the shoot went? Uh, you know, I, no, it went great. I mean, I, I have to. It's it's you always there's always hindsight and oh, if only we had another day. But I, you know, as we were talking about before, it's. You, you know, it's you need to feel the heat coming around the corner. Right. You know what I mean? Because it, it, you, you could always get another day, but you need to feel that timeline before you really start hammer, you know, hammering down on these scenes. Because you could shoot a scene 50 different ways. You right. know, you can 
you can look at your shot log and be like, oh, you know, let's also get, you know, the, the sun's setting right now. So let's go get this at this time, you know, it, oh, but this is the money shot here. You know, it's the, and you need that time to come around the corner and just be like, guys, we need to do a wide shot over the shoulder and done. You know, right. it's yeah. the, but you know, I, sometimes the simplest form of filmmaking is the best. And uh, I'm very proud of the, what we were able to capture in, in five days. I think we're, I think, my hope is that everyone who worked on this will be amazed in what we were able to capture. Cause I mean, towards the middle of it, I think we were doing, we did two 20 hour days. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, half of us were sick. Uh, you know, as a producer, I was scared there was going to be a mutiny, but again, middle of nowhere, right. you know, not hard, hard to walk <laughs> off, anywhere to go. hard to walk <laughs> off set, but no, uh, no, ten- I mean, tensions got highs, you know, they do sometimes in these things, but I think at the end we all, walked away knowing that we had created something exceptional and that's that's what it's all about you know you're there to work so so were you producing on set i was producing acting and i know seth Seth directed this uh i was basically again just swiss army anytime they needed it production design costume makeup you know again it was all hands on deck at all time the problem with shooting out in the middle of nowhere is the costs are much greater to put people up out there. Right. You know, we only had so many people in the house that we were, were staying at and so many people in the motels down the road. Uh, you know, we had looked at getting kind of full-time makeup and costume kind of people there, but instead we just hired a single art director to kind of handle it all, you know, gotcha. and it's, uh, most of it just came down to putting, rubbing dirt in your face, you yeah. know, and that it's, that's going to look sometimes better than any bruise makeup or anything else. So, you know, it was, but it was all hands on deck, and I had to juggle between acting in it and just to give you a little background on the on the role, I, I play a deaf character, and uh, when we were writing this, I was doing a project at Gallaudet University, which gave me gave me the idea to write the character deaf, gotcha. and uh, you, at the time we you know we were talking to people at Gallaudet, and it was oh of course you'll have our support, this is great, like we want to get more deaf you know deaf and hard of hearing roles out there and more. ASL communication and uh, so I didn't think about it though in September they were out of school so everyone was on break and you know we were in a real crunch time and not only would we have had to uh, you know basically like fly in a deficit because no one was in you know uh, everyone was kind of traveling or abroad it took us weeks before we even got through to the the theater director but uh, we would have also had to put up the translator out there And you know, so it's like you know, with our budget constraints, it was just kind of like, I I think I gotta kind of step up and do this. And you know, if it if it falls, it falls on me. You know, it's uh, so, you know, just because, you know, there is a lot of sensitivity right now to how to portray portray roles like this. And I hope that people know that this is just you know our series pilot proof of concept that we are hoping to sell. And should we? get picked up by anyone uh we would absolutely hire uh deaf and hard of hearing talent and uh try to you know motivate our anyone on board to kind of learn asl and get a part of that culture because it really is remarkable and you'll see it you're going to see it growing in the dc area now so we're talking about you got investors but budget wise Mm -hmm. where did the pilot land uh, right at 30, I mean, we had planned to land around $30,000 okay. and we basic, I mean, barring knock on, knock on wood, uh, barring any unforeseen technical difficulties that arise in the final, 
stages here, we hit it on the we hit it on the mark. Cool. I mean, we granted we reverse engineered from that right. budget, but I mean, nothing ever goes according to plan and shit happens. So, but we we got very lucky in that we had people who were very mot- motivated to work on this below their usual rate. So, yeah. thank you. Thank you everyone. Is um and you guys are is it a 30 minute Wow. Yeah, I mean, right now our to- our TRT is about 32 minutes. Uh, yeah, so I mean, okay. 30, 30 minutes is kind of the runtime of, again, this kind of proof of concept series pilot. But uh, I mean, the, our, our vision is to create a show without time constraints, similar, mm-hmm. to, similar to like what uh, Aziz Ansari did with Masters of None, yeah. where like some episodes were 20 minutes, some were over an hour. You know, it really depends on the subject matter, but I don't want people to know what I don't want people to know what to expect from sure. this. You know, sure. I want to surprise people. I want to create something that's really unique in its structure and its format. Yeah. And like in our series Bible, we have a, a section on kind of how that would unfold, you know, gotcha. in our season structure. It's it's very atypical, and that's what we want. Is um, So what's timeline-wise? You guys are still in post-production? Uh, we should finish within two weeks. Okay. That's cool. the, we're in final audio right now. Picture is done. We combine the two, make the DCP, and uh, we've started applying to the, you know, we've started applying to the film festivals with just some, uh, with like our last fine cut. Okay. Uh, but, you know, they know that to expect the final cut from us in the coming sure. weeks. So hopefully they haven't watched it. <laughs> and so you're not only sending it to film festivals as a short, obviously, but you're also well, are you pitching I, to... Well, actually, it's we're not sending it as a short. The film festivals we're targeting are those with categories for episodic content. Oh, okay. So, the, I mean, this is part of how we were able to convince investors and our people to get on board was the film... I mean, just our last project... We submitted as a short film, and you know every response we got, even the ones we won, were we got a record number of submissions this year. You know, mm. ten, tens of thousands of submissions, and it's like, well, how are we going to differentiate ourselves right. with that? You know, even I mean, I stand by the quality of it, but you know, for a lot of these f- film festivals that we apply to, this is the first year that they're adding this category. Right. So our hope is that we'll be able to stand out a little more and have more of a chance to kind of break through in this new. Uh, medium, I guess you can, I guess you would call it, uh, that is changing the what, changing the way content is viewed. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. Are you guys focused right now on film festivals? Or are you pitching in other places? Yeah, I mean, just to, to start. I mean, uh, kind of our, uh, we are going to ap- start approaching sales agents and you know reaching out to networks and platforms directly. But the idea with the film festival is to generate buzz and to build our hand as much as possible before we go to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to, I just, I, we, I love film festivals and I love just that being a part of it. So it's, it's fun and it's this great reward for your hard work. Uh, but if we could, you know, sell it or get, get an offer to make, to make more, uh, before, you know, before, you know, and circumvent that entire process, then, then sure thing. But, uh, you know, it's, we always had the, the dream of, putting it in the film festival circuit and yeah. hopefully getting into one of the big ones, but at the very least just getting into some local ones and being able to travel with a product you love, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. Would, um, so I kind of want to switch gears mm-hmm. and talk about kind of Virginia, DC film, the uh, Virginia, DC, Baltimore film. Yeah. Um, what is your kind of take on it right now? Uh, 
I mean, again, I, I think I mentioned it a little earlier with New York and L.A. D.C. is a place, I mean, the greater D.C. area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, is a place where you can truly differentiate yourself yeah. as a creator, as a creative. Uh, no matter, it's, you know, the, the casual D.C. question is, you know, what do you do? Right, and, right. you know, so to be able to shift that conversation, uh, here's not what I do, but here's what I create. Right. You will. I mean, you're gonna get people who are legitimately interested and wanna be a part of it. People who aren't even in the industry right now, yeah. and that's what's so exciting about it. And I mean, I think we're starting to see. We had a bit of a tease with like the House of Cards and Veep right. situation, but I know we're getting Good Lord Bird from AMC in Virginia, right. which is gonna be a major production. So a lot. Of, oftentimes, with those arrangements, they need to hire a certain amount of local. Uh, talent local talent to get the tax breaks so my hope is that we see that trickle down throughout uh you know not just you know the top people in premier studios but you know again new diverse filmmakers and producers and just people who are who have that raw talent but don't necessarily have uh have the outlet to express it so to get them on some major productions and to you know just just share the wealth you know it's the you know it's it's dc virginia maryland what i would say how to differ one of what differentiates differentiates it the most could be this idea of community over competition right you know it's it's not like you know you're in la and you're in the audition room with 20 other people and i i got to do something to you know to beat you out Mm -hmm. it's we don't need to work against each other here we can work together you know and it's that that idea but you know it's uh you got to work with people who believe in what you believe that's the one that's the one thing and so far most most everyone believes in creating exceptional content you know and start there create what you believe in you know what do you think needs to happen over the next uh because i'm very i mean this is kind of why I do my side of the podcast, you know, Griffin, my co-host is up in New York, and, mm-hmm. which is an established film scene. But for me, it's very much like I want to meet people like you because I see a <laughs> lot you. of, you know, yeah. I see uh, this community of filmmakers that are like, I feel like it's like right on the cusp, like five mm-hmm. years from now, yeah. we'll have a different conversation, you know? I mean, I think we need uh, platforms to bring people together. And we need the major, we need the major players to again share share the love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that it needs to be easier for people to get permits in D.C., Maryland, and yeah. Virginia. You know, it 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 can't be your entire but. I mean, your entire budget. yeah. They yeah. need to be conscious of what people have versus standard rates. You sure. know, it's uh, and I haven't gone through DC. I haven't gone through the DC Office of Motion Picture in a long time, so I couldn't say exactly. I I, I couldn't talk specifically to easy. that. It's, it's not, not easy. easy. I mean, the last time I was a part of it was for like the DC AIDS Walk, and that was for a charity, and that was, uh, you know, there was still a lot. I mean, a ton of red tape to get through. And if right. I wasn't working for a company at the time, I don't don't think I would have been able to. Yeah, I don't think we would have been able to get right, that. Right. You know, it's the, uh, you know, it's it's. Finding opportunities to do that aside from, you know, Captain America running on the Capitol. You know, right. it's the, uh, and again, it's places like DC Camera and Alamo Draft House or what I saw in the HMD podcast before when I was listening. And it's like people like that creating events in a space to bring people together. You know, it's, it's, it's breaking through the clutter. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, 
if you really are serious and want to get into production or post-production there i mean there should be there's plenty of opportunities out there it's just finding the right people who can get you the right opportunity you know it's the and it's easier said than done but my hope is that you know those these communities are starting to be shared through you know again podcasts like this and you know we start these companies which you know we we have our nine to fives but then we start our production companies and my hope is that people start reaching out with ideas you know whether it's music or movies or what i mean the creative process is the creative process and just to start building uh start building a community you know and that's uh i it's it's dc maryland the greater dc area has it i just feel like it hasn't shown it we haven't shown our true colors yet yeah i think that i think part of showing the true colors uh, necessitates a little bit of a um it's not one person that's going to do it it's Mm -hmm. a multitude of people doing it at kind of the same time Mm -hmm. um which i feel is coming um i'm just you know from looking at other folks what they're doing um you know i feel like there's a lot of great content that is just about to make break through mm-hmm. um as particularly one thing that hit, hit me a couple like a year or two ago was the fact that we've got so many cons coming to the area and uh-huh. that wasn't this that wasn't happening five years ago that wasn't definitely wasn't happening 10 years ago and i think that could be along with out Al, like brian over at alamo um that uh-huh. could be a kind of a new space for these filmmakers to yeah it's uh and i know we i mean we were talking about before too with uh you know like we have the the, obviously the cons coming here but then notable filmmakers like george pelicanos coming in and setting up shop here in dc and his venture is for dc based productions that is Mm. the that is its thesis that is its creed and that's what we need more of i mean because right now it's like we were talking you know it's you get to a certain point and then you go to the, you know our talent goes to New York or LA and it's like if you're a you know a young filmmaker and you want to get representation or an agent or any of that like who's going to do that for you here in DC Maryland Virginia you know it's this it's that idea of infrastructure here and it's uh you know guys i mean ind- independent filmmakers can only do so much you know we need some of the big players to to, to plant a flag here, you know right. what I mean? And to kind of say like this island, you know, utilize this island of misfit toys that yeah. is here. Because a lot of the people who are here love it here and don't want to move. At least the people yeah. I've worked with, they don't want to go to L.A. They don't want to go to New York. They're happy right here. But it's just, you know, is are you going to be able to get the same exposure? Yeah. You know, and hopefully, you know, with this digital age and what Netflix is doing and these platforms are doing, launching hubs outside of L.A. and New York... Yeah. You know, hopefully we'll start to see that. I know we're getting Amazon. I don't know if we're going to be getting their creative services or any of like prime original content. But, you know, it's people like that who need to, again, plant a flag in the greater D.C. area because it's all right here and ready to go. We just need someone to break ground. You know, it's and like you said, it's it's not going to be one person. It's going to be this communal aspect. Yeah, I think um, so. One, you know. One thing that excites me about Amazon coming is I think finally, um, I mean, I, I feel like a, maybe a bunch of people will correct me, but, um, you know, DC is this, um, 
immigrant city. Yeah. And I'm not just talking it's a melting about, pot city. Yeah. It's a melting pot city for the country Very itself transient. too. Yeah. You know, people are coming, they come for four years or eight years and then they leave because mm-hmm. the job is gone. <laughs> but I feel like Amazon and we finally have an industry, which is the tech industry that's coming here, mm-hmm. establishing a base and saying, we're not going to leave. Yeah. This isn't just a political agenda for the next eight years mm-hmm. and then we're gone. And I think it, you know, the creative side of Amazon doesn't need to come here, but the money will yeah. come here and open things up. Well, what I mean, what excites me too is, I mean, I, I think I can safely, I think Amazon's the future. I right. mean, we had discover, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the, I mean, at least people in the post-production industry were devastated when Discovery closed their doors. Same thing with Travel Channel, uh, you know, and left when Discovery left Silver Spring, but Silver Spring. But it's the fact that kind of a new giant platform right. is planting a flag here in Crystal City. I mean, that's, I mean, that's huge. I mean, uh, you know, Facebook and Google have offices in New York. I mean, sorry, in uh, in down on I Street in D.C. Uh, and you know, it's, if we can just get like a few more, again, just movers and shakers, you're going to kind of see this under, you know, this underlying presence come to the, come to the surface. And that is, I mean, that's my hope with, and and again, it's this idea that everyone I've talked to, like in the industry in LA and New York is tells me I have to come there. Right. That's the first thing they say. They say, you can't, you want to sell You want to, you want to sell your product. You want to get this done. You got to be here. Right. You can't do it from D and it's just like, well, it, well, what do you mean? You know, it's like, why, why is that the case? And it's like, you, the business is done here. Right. And it's like, you know, again, it's show business. So we need to, you know, while there is uh, exceptional talent here and a good amount of it, it's we need to, again, plant those industry and business flags. Like right. you said, you know, like a tech giant like Amazon or, you know, again, these movers and shakers coming here is what's going to again, get this change that almost transient mindset of DC, you know, get some of, because again, there's audiences want diverse filmmaking right now. Like the demand is there in, in grow. It's so that is here. I mean, it's just, people don't necessarily recognize that. And I think hopefully, like you said, in five years that we'll be having a very different conversation. I think it also gets sucked up with the politics of the area Um, (laughs) because I mean, everything, I mean, Everything that I've worked on, you know, even in my nine to five, you know, that isn't my passion is some sort of corporate or political piece. Mm -hmm. You know, we make our living off of editing. Association work. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that is what's established here. My excitement for Amazon and all these tech people, you know, tech companies coming in is that, well, that will only be one facet now of what goes on in DC because these mm-hmm. people are going to need commercials. They're going to need really high end stuff, and I think that's where all you know suddenly all these people like me uh-huh. who are working the corporate video job as their nine to five are going to have are going to be able to suddenly do their creative stuff. Yeah, you know? I mean, I mean, besides just the commercial work, like you said, there's so much content that a place like Amazon produces. Right. I mean. Many years ago, when I was working at a uh, Clean Cut Cerebral Lounge in Baltimore, we were working with Under Armour, and I'm probably breaking NDA to talk about it, but (laughs) 
we were producing their internal videos and you don't realize it, but like a, a massive company like that has to create content for onboarding. Like, and that was extensive work. I mean, to onboard, to create videos for every different department and to introduce them to the workflows and, you know, kind of these ludicrous bureaucracies that make up these giants. I mean, Video content, I mean, content is king right now, and that's why it's such a great time to be content creator. So let's talk about Dime Museum. Yeah. How you kind of talked about how that came about, but can you talk about kind of when you established Dime Museum for real? And Sure. Know. I mean, uh, I established it when I finished our, when I finished our, uh, our last short film, A Celebrity. And again, we were just applying to film festivals, and there was always that section that asked, for website, you know, what's your what's your production company? Right. And you know, I was yeah, I self financed that and produced it, and uh, so you know, I used to work in in branding, so I know the you know the diff- I know the many steps it takes to brand a new company. It's right. very extensive. You don't, I mean, so but Dime Museum was just always something that was kind of just circling, and I love the concept of it. Uh, so I just started fleshing it out and I created a Squarespace website, <laughs> yep. you know, just started at a template and it was, uh, you know, now if you look back at it, it's, pr- it's pretty dated. I, I updated it. Re- I mean, I redesigned it recently, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be. It wasn't even Dime Museum Productions. It was just Dime Museum. Uh, and through like a clerical error, it became DimeMuseum.org, even though we weren't a nonprofit. <laughs> so I had to wait till that. URL expired, and then I I grabbed Dime Museum Productions, and that's now what we're doing. But again, I don't. We haven't quite defined it yet. It's right. still in this. Uh, uh, you know, it's kind of still in the ether for us. So yeah. it's you know, right now it's our it's our production company. But I, you know, I used it as a uh, as kind of an umbrella when I was branding a band I play in, mm-hmm. and you know it. Uh, if, you know, people start reaching out to us for commercial work or brand work or, you know, whatever it is, it can be under that same umbrella. But right now it's, you know, to me, the creative process is the creative process. It's the same thing if you're producing a song, a movie, a t-shirt, you know, it's, uh, there is a, a science to the art. And, you know, as long as it falls within that process, I think, you know, it would fall within this brand that we're creating so would you say right now kind of dime museum is kind of the chest that ember kind of sits in right now and yeah i mean it's uh because we because we uh you know it was born when we were doing our late our short film before that it was you know it was right there and ready so we just you know kind of transferred it over and again when you're another piece of advice i got from you know people in the industry were you know, if you really want to sell this piece, people don't care about what it is. They care about your next three projects. Right. They don't want someone who's there to just create something and walk away. Right. If they're investing in you, they want to invest in your portfolio, in your future, the ability that you're going to keep creating. So that was mainly why we decided to kind of make Ember a Dime Museum production was we didn't want to just seem like a couple kids from D.C. who were trying to make a quick sell, you know, a right. quick score. It's like, no, 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 this is a part of a creative outlet and we're going to keep developing this with or without, uh, you know, with or without your funding or purchase of the purchase of it. Uh, 
this is something we're going to do until you know until it succeeds and we're going to do other projects simultaneously but you know ember is this kind of living entity so yeah you know and it, it it just legitimizes it and adds some trustworthiness to it the fact that it's part of a greater a greater collective yeah and yeah. that that collective can is still evolving and can be uh adapted based on the based on the demands of the industry so that's the way i see it you know it's uh it's obviously a compliment to my nine to five you know to my nine to five i i work full-time at henniger media services too yeah and they were uh you know there i do uh i mean at a premier production and post production facility like henniger media services they do everything soup to nuts i mean they have 36 studios uh you know, but oftentimes people can be intimidated by that. Yep. You know, it's I can't afford you guys and all this, and it's like, well, wait a second here. Like, you know, I you you may not know that, and it's you know having another entity like you know a smaller kind of indie label like right. Dime Museum is like, look, if someone comes to me at Dime Museum, maybe maybe it is too small, maybe it's not the right fit for Henniger Media Services, but if it is, you know, I can, you know, pivot based on the specific needs and demands of the project itself, you know, and so it's nice to be able to, you know, be able to reach audiences through different tiers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think, um, well, you brought up a point, which is I'm planning on having Henninger on the podcast, but the set for the same reason that I had DC camera. So you have to interview Sue. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eric keeps telling me about yeah, Sue. You got to interview Sue. She's uh, she's you got to interview. <laughs> but Henninger. Well, Rob, great... Rob's Rob's got a great voice. He's voiceover. Yes, talent. I heard yeah, that. So he you got to you got to maybe get both of them in there. But <laughs> well, the Henninger is a great example though of like Henninger is a premier production post production yep. house yep. in DC. Well, mm-hmm. they're in Arlington. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they're an established name in DC. Thirty people, years. People go to them. Yeah. Multiple production companies go to them, and but they're not out of your reach if you're an indie filmmaker you just have to plan properly and that is why exactly. i'm trying to connect you know all these indie filmmakers that are out in the community that we're talking about including you uh-huh. and connecting them with these le- more legitimate bigger companies that can guide them exactly. to success exactly i mean obviously you do everything you can on your own right. you know you work hard at your pro i mean but you know, you're going to hit a wall with audio or color or finishing or any of these niche services that you just don't have the capabilities on in a home system. Right. You know, and it's like, that's when, I mean, for indie filmmakers, that's when you want to come in and go to a premiere house. I mean, obviously, if you need help along the way in any of the production, pre, you know, pre-production, production, post-production, you can come to a place like Henniger. They do it all soup to nuts. But if you're working on a budget, know where you're going to need the help. Right. And plan a car. I mean, carve out some some funds in there, and you can go and ask for rates. I'll you know I'll talk to you. I'll take you through the whole thing. But it's often what I tell people is, look, come to me with your budget, and I can reverse engineer from that. Right. You know, if you come in, I have to scope from the dark and try to guess what your budget is, and just you know I. But if you come to us, I mean, we have special rates for documentary filmmakers and student right. filmmakers, and. We want to work with these aspiring filmmakers. We partner with Annapolis Film Festival, and if you win a prize with one of the prizes with them is free color, you know, free post services with us, right. and that's the kind of thing we want to expand. You yeah. know, again, we want, you know, obviously we want to work. We work with big brands and big political entities and government and some of those associations we were talking about earlier. 
But Henniger also, I mean, again, there's 36 studios there. There's right. a lot of manpower there, and we want to work on uh, content of all, you know, of all shapes and sizes. Yeah. How? What has your experience at Henniger been like? In terms of actually working there, what have you learned? All that. I mean, I I've been there for about three years now, and uh, I didn't know, you know, I knew that they were, I knew that they were a premier studio and that they did a lot of political work. Mm-hmm. But the main work that I, what I have mainly taken away from it, uh, besides learning, you know, obviously the technical aspects and the industry, and you know, just being around such you know exceptional talent, is. Uh, the project we work on there that I've worked on there for two for two years was uh, Mosul, the feature right. documentary film. I mean, that really started with a walk-in representative from Webstringers, the company, mm. and at the time they were doing you know a, ser- a series called Daesh, which is about uh, which is the Iraq term for ISIS, and they were doing uh, a broadcast series, and I eventually developed uh, a you know, a friendship and a relationship with Dan Gabriel, who was uh, who was at Webstringers at the time, basically ended up taking it over, him and Mike Tucker. And they came to me with the ambition that they wanted to turn Mosul, the series, into a, a feature. feature. And, a real, and not just a documentary, a, a, a contender, a, right, an award right. winner, a real, a real breakthrough feature film. And... We work. I mean, all they came to us with ninety six something around something around ninety hours of unfiltered, untranslated footage from Mosul, Iraq during the conflict. I mean, and so to work with them for two years, soup to nuts. I mean, logging, organizing the footage, and ultimately, you know, I give all credit to our editor, you know, our editor Christopher and Dan Gabriel, who worked tirelessly you know night after night day after day on this we constructed a narrative from all of that and Mm -hmm. it's you know it was very difficult doing that because with documentaries you write it in post-production right right you know and we they got 90 plus hours of footage straight from Mosul Iraq and it was well you know how do we create a narrative from this that honors the people and it's not just you know war war porn you know not just depressed it's we wanted to be uplifting with it. Yes, it's it's a hard question, but we wanted to be hopeful to the people of Iraq. I mean, while obviously telling the the truth. I mean, right. that's the for the forefront of all documentary work is telling the truth. But you know, we ask hard questions and we give hard answers. But you know, uh, to create a piece that we hope makes a difference and makes people remember. And remind them that Mosul is still very much a, you know, a dire situation. Right, right. With there, you know, and there's news articles popping up every day now about, you know, the, I mean, the situation there in Mosul and greater Iraq. And, you know, the kind of the soul of the nation is what you'll hear a lot uh, throughout the piece, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's on iTunes right now, and I think for a while it was like number three on iTunes. Wow. You know, it's on iTunes, Amazon, Google. It's it's on everything right now. But they premiered at Cleveland International, and they had a small theater run in I think New York and L.A. Okay. So they will qualify for award season, fingers crossed. But uh, to be a post producer on that and to kind of see that from see that through from to from beginning to end and really work on that career because I had never done a feature like that before mm-hmm. i mean of any of any 
narrative none of any genre so to to see that unfold uh was very inspiring and you know i hopefully a next next project or two i can you know (laughs) come come to the table with a feature of my own and know some of what it's going to take you know so so that's i mean from what i've learned from henniger learning that workflow and process to create a feature film from soup to nuts i mean is I mean, it's a real unique experience that you're not just going to get anywhere. Right. It's, 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 you know, it's a real, it's not something you want to take for granted. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's something I'll be forever grateful for. Well, and you'll always yeah. have that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Forever. It's, I mean, it's still, it's still very much, it's, it's still very much alive. You know, it's, uh, it's only been released a few months now and it's, uh, yeah, we were talking it's about still, it a little bit. You know, it, we, give me a second. Sorry, fix it in post. <laughs> fix it in post. That's well, the uh, cutting it out. We, I mean, uh, very respectfully joke about it, but uh, we because we worked on it for so many for you know years and so many versions and fixes. Uh, when it, we still don't think it's done. Like right. we're still expecting to have like a new trailer, a new fix, a new version for this festival or. You know, so we joke that we get PTSD from it and it's, you know, it's our, you know, we with respect because it's war footage, but, uh, you know, it's, it's letting go, it's, it's hard to let go of, uh, material like that and an investment in a project. And, uh, you know, we still haven't really done it yet. You know, it's, uh, you know, talking to Dan and Christopher there, Mosul is still very much in their workflow. So it's, uh. You know, and it's it's just I was I was very lucky to be a part of it and grateful to Henniger and Dan and Christopher for, you know, letting me be a part of that creative process. Yeah. What are some of the roles, not just on Mosul, but that you handle over at Henniger? So mainly account and project management. Okay. I mean it's uh more client relations side. Got it. So you know, it's uh basically people can come to you with two different scenarios. They come to you with uh uh, I want you to help me develop the, an mm-hmm. idea for this, or I have the idea is done, and I just need you. I I just need you to help me execute it. Right. You know, it's kind of again that that vision and execution mm-hmm. scale. So it really depends on that. If someone comes in and is like, "I want to do a commercial for my brand," then I'm going to be very I'm going to be very involved. I'm right, going to work right. with them on the writing, the conceptualizing, the storyboarding, getting it all prepped for our people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's and again reconstruct. Uh, reverse engineering from their budget is a major part of that. Sure. Again, you know, that vision execution. So if someone comes to me with, uh, with you know, I have a script, I have this, we did the shoot, I need you guys to edit and do color, mix, and get this ready for broadcast and web, you know, then it's going to be more of a pro- – I'm going to work with the project managers who are going to be the main overseers on that, and I'm just going to work with the client through that workflow. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, it really is case by case. Gotcha. Uh, but, I mean, I, I love a challenge, and I love it when people come to me and say, I want to, you know, I want to create a video. It's right. uh, At first, it's a little discouraging, but, you know, when you start – as long as people are passionate and believe in what they're creating, I'm on board. But if someone just comes in and it's, I need a video, I don't care, just do it, that, which happens all the time, you'd be, right. you know, it's uh, then, 
you know, it, it makes the job very difficult and you kind of have to be that guy who says, well, how much money do you have? And, right. you know, it sounds, it's disheartening to, to, to ask that and to, you know, to spring that on clients when they call. But, you know, I, without, without having a script, without knowing that it's, you need to know, you know, it's the least fun part of the, part of the creative process, but you need to know that. Yeah, so it's working, it's, it's working clients through that process. Cause again, Henniger, Henniger are the experts, the people, I mean, clients calling don't have to be experts. It's nice when they are, but they don't have to be experts. They're coming to us cause we're the experts. Right. So you need to be mindful of that and work with people. And again, as long as you have an idea and you're passionate about it, I will work with you, uh, concept through completion you know it's and i'm i'm happy and i'm excited to do it but you know it's just you know i my kind of my motto is uh to put it put it lightly is uh don't don't create shit content right ask yourself is this shit before you create it <laughs> you know it's i'll never i'll never forget it. we were at i was at a mid-atlantic uh i was at a marketing summit and you know they had like those pa- they had this panel on the uh on the stage and they were all, you know, uh, Oh, the four whys of content creation, the six do's, the six don'ts. And one guy, I wish I remembered who it was. He was just like, just don't produce shit. <laughs> he just said that and like <laughs> silenced the room. And it right. was like, ask yourself before you embark on something, is this shit? Right. You'll know. Like, you know, and it, 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 he nailed it on the head though. It's just like, ask yourself that before you, pick up the phone you right. know what i mean it's don't create content that's frivolous right you're not because it's not going to do anything for you you're not going to break you're not going to break through you're not going to re- you're not going to reach your audience you're not going to differentiate yourself so uh and look if you want to come to me you know if you come to henniger my dime museum anyone and say i want to create something that breaks through i don't want to just do a standard interview b-roll video you know it's good look if you want to do it, that's fine but right. uh you know if you're really passionate about creating something exceptional i'll you know I'll find a way to work with you, whether it's Henniger or Dime Museum or any of that. You know, it's so. Uh, but yeah, we get calls every day, and it's I I'm constantly surprised. You always think you've heard it all until yeah. you pick up that phone. <laughs> so career wise, what are you pursuing? What is the actual? You know, with Ember, is it acting? Is it producing? Is it directing? Are you? Do you write? Are yeah, you yeah. No, I wrote. Uh, uh, I've written everything i've okay. produced except yeah, mo except mosul i mean mosul uh again that was a doc- kind of a sp- special circumstance no uh to me writing and writing's the most important part of anything but the uh uh is that a no, is that a problem yeah, okay <laughs> no the i mean career-wise it's hard it's hard to say because like all the advice I've gotten from people is pursue one thing. Mm-hmm. You you do too much. You you gotta if you want to choose acting, act. You want to be a writer, write. You want to direct, direct. And that's one bit of advice I've never followed. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's to me again. I wanna I wanna do it all. I wanna cre- I wanna have a creative entity that can do all of these things. Mm-hmm. That can you know that can be the showrunner. That can be the you know that can produce content of all kinds like i want to be in that you know i want to be on that level you know like you know like a spike jones who i mentioned before like you know he'll do an apple commercial then he'll do an aziz and sorry stand up and then he'll do a feature film and it's like you don't need to say i mean what we've seen with these streaming platforms is this great blur between the mediums right you know and that's that's what i want to tap into and that's what i hope we do with ember is to show like 
look, this can, you can really challenge the norms and the structures of the way we, pers- the way we view and ingest content, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's right now there's a demand for that. You right. know, people think they want sequels and reboots and prequels, but they, what they need is content that challenges the status quo. And again, that, that breaks through the clutter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And again, that yeah. makes you think, uh, you know, best, another great piece of advice I got from an old drama teacher is, uh, uh Christopher Gherkin said, you know, I make the audience think, right. Make the audience think. Uh, and film professor said, make sure you can answer the why question before you produce anything. Mm. Anytime you're going to That's produce weird. something, he said, uh, why, why? Right. It was, it was the worst. It's the hardest question to answer. Uh, who, what, when, where is easy, but, why is a lot harder? So make sure you know why you're doing it before you do it, you know? So in the next, uh, what's on your calendar in the next couple months? What are well, we got to finish, we got to finish, uh, Ember and then we're going to go back and re, uh, overhaul and rewrite the scripts and the series Bible. Okay. And we're going to bring it to, uh, we have a graphic designer on tap who I'm real excited to work with. Uh, and he's going to create a very, uh, kind of shareable, uh, transferable kind of deck for all these things okay. and we want to create physical media we basically a, a, a theme is like you know the uh the disparities of religion and ember so we want to actually write it on like leaflets that you'd get from a jehovah's witness gotcha we want to start handing that That's those cool. out you know just like again just something that challenges the medium uh and surprises people but the uh so finishing ember right now is a main uh is top top of the list but uh after that, I think just as a quick passion project, I'm going to shoot a, uh, a quick uh, brand spot on my phone. Just because okay. I need right now I need to do something that is like because Ember, like we had to, you know, there was so much production and post-production involved, so many people, so many facets of it. I need something I could do in a weekend on my own. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just something that I don't have to wait on anyone else for and I can just do it and be done with it. And I've had this idea actually for a Nike commercial, DC-centric Nike commercial forever. And I finally storyboarded, I wrote it out. All I need to do is cast an actor, you know, cast an actress and uh and that's it. I'm so that that's that's next. I'm going to do that pretty run and gun pretty quickly, but uh hopefully it'll be one of those uh you know, uh underground viral videos that, you know, sorry, breakthrough videos that uh that you see for these these brands now, like the Johnny Walker spot or any of right, that, you right. know, the, uh, but so that's what I'm going to do next. And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, Seth Ginner and I have been constantly developing ideas. Uh, so my hope is that, you know, we'll take a nice break from Ember and then we'll uh, ante up again. And, you yeah. know, that may be writing, you know, depending on where we are with Ember, but writing and producing another episode or vignette or proof of concept for it you know if we think that it would make sense for uh for the greater project gotcha yeah well if you need help you know where him yeah no it's uh i'm excited i'm excited the opportunity to work with you man so um lastly where can people find you where can they connect with you where do you want them to follow you uh i mean right now the website where basically every I, i i have a showcase for everything we've talked about is dime museum productions.com uh that's kind of my per you know a best best way to reach me personally uh there's an email on there there's social media you can just get on you know get on board in any way and then 
if you're interested in post-production services that Henniger offers, just uh, feel free to call the main line, ask, ask for me, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll take you through the whole process. I'll introduce you to the creatives, and again, let's we can create something exceptional together. So, uh, so yeah, so I'd say those are the best, the the two call to actions I would have. Okay, guys. Well, you heard it, Justin. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, on thank the show. you, Zach. Appreciate it. And good luck with Ember. That you mean break a leg? <laughs> break a leg. Yes, yeah. correct, correct. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great week. Hey guys, just want to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame Podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook, and most importantly, you can find us on iTunes, where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week.